This is an RNZ podcast. Afghanistan has fallen to the Taliban. This is huge international news, so here's a crash course with all the basics that you need to know. The Taliban is an ultra-fundamentalist Islamist militant group that controlled most of Afghanistan during the 90s. Although Afghanistan used to be relatively well-off and progressive, this country has known nothing but war for the past four decades. And the harsh rule of the Taliban saw human rights, particularly women's rights, decimated. In 2001, the terrorist group Al-Qaeda carried out the 9-11 attacks. They were based in Afghanistan, and President Bush said the Taliban government had refused to hand over Al-Qaeda. That was The Guardian journalist Matilda Bosley in a rapid-fire TikTok video explaining the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan last year. Now, as she explained, they first rolled into the capital 25 years earlier, but for a whole generation of younger people, that wouldn't be a vivid memory at all. Back then, readers of what was then a 200-year-old English newspaper might have been startled to know that its Australian newsroom was using a Chinese-owned app to explain a top-world news story of the day in just two minutes. 20 years of war, more than 172,000 people killed, a trillion dollars spent, and it all came undone in a matter of days. But The Guardian certainly didn't waste its time with that video. It's been watched nearly 5 million times, and presumably not by those who read The Guardian's printed newspaper. However, most news stories require a bit more than a two-minute clip on TikTok to explain in detail, and this is where podcasts come in handy. A recent annual survey in the US by research group Edison found that less than half of spoken word audio listening was on the radio dial this year. Talk radio largely failed to grow audiences in the crucial demographic of adults 25 to 54, they found. But a Pew Research Center survey in July last year found a big jump in younger adults getting their news from podcasts. And Edison found that the biggest increase was amongst the youngest listeners they surveyed. Spoken word listening more than doubled, they said, among those aged 13 to 24 over a seven-year period. And according to Edison, they were also spending twice as much time on podcasts than on radio. In their conclusion, the next generation of spoken word listeners is listening on demand from their smartphones, and it's going to be hard for radio to defy that trend. Well, two journalists who are working with that trend to bring news about the news to younger Kiwi listeners are New Zealand Herald Wellington reporter Katie Harris and former News Hub reporter Rosie Gordon, who more recently was the producer of News Talk ZB's show Wellington Mornings. Together, they created the podcast In The Loop six months ago to look at the headlines each week that matter to younger New Zealanders. In case you missed it... In case you missed it, the part of the show where we give you a rundown of the top news this week. Rosie, what is the first story? The occupation at Parliament is finally over, Katie, and it went out in a real flurry (laughs) of action yesterday. It's being called one of the most significant events in our recent history. Often, Rosie and Katie do this with journalists who are working on those big stories, such as News Hub's Lisette Raymer reporting from Ukraine's war. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who are crossing this border into any of the neighbouring countries they can get to, really. They are not being picky, they're not being choosy, they just want to get to safety. At the moment, Ukraine is a war zone, so they're just not safe there, and mothers particularly... That same edition of In The Loop also tackled the rise in the official cash rate and the latest worrying IPCC report on climate change and that ongoing upheaval at the occupation of Parliament. And in a section called Looping You In, they reported on the story of a teenager at a Dunedin high school who was abused and had her hijab ripped off her, sparking a campaign which went global and even got superstar celebrity backing, thanks to a trainee teacher from Hamilton. 
petition had more than 42,000 signatures in just a day after it launched. Since then, it's gone all around the world and has even been shared by the likes of supermodel Bella Hadid. We interviewed Petra Khan, who's one of the women behind that campaign. We started by asking her what her reaction was when she first heard Huda's story. I was horrified because I just could not accept the fact that this happened in a school environment. Um, graduating, I'm going to graduate next month from Teachers College here in Hamilton, and that's against everything we have been taught. Now, these are all good yarns, but how do you put together a podcast all about the news for an audience that doesn't tend to seek it out? There's so many great podcasts out there, but none of them are really like targeting people in New Zealand that are my age and speaking to people that are interested in the news but don't necessarily know all the nuts and bolts of every single historic issue. And so we've got all of this news content, like the Herald and places like Stuff and News have produced so much content and so much valuable stuff, but it's not really translated into a way that a lot of young people want to consume. Sort of to Katie's point, it seems as though there are a lot of young people that I know who are politically engaged, they're interested in what is going on in the news, but they perhaps only access their news on Instagram and Facebook. For those people who get to the end of the week and go, I don't know what's sort of happening in the world, there's a way for them to access that information in a way that is, yeah, like Katie said, palatable for them. Uh, So how do you sort of structure, Rosie, uh, a show that targets the people that you think are interested in there but not being served by stuff that's a, a bit more explanatory? Yeah, I think that's a good question. One thing that was really important for us that we talked about when we were building this was around tone, you know, not talking down to young people and instead the podcast is really sort of a conversation between two um, colleagues that are interested in in news and working in the news world about what's happening in the news and I think not talking down to them, having a conversation with young people instead, things that perhaps might not get heaps of mainstream coverage um, is a really important way that we sort of do that and structure it as well. But Katie, I think you had something to add. Yeah, and I think a lot of what people say MSMs or mainstream media companies cop flack from people online sometimes because people say, oh, the mainstream media aren't covering this or no one is highlighting this one issue. But much of the time it is being covered and there has been stories on it, but they're just not presented in a way that young people can see or they're not on the platforms that young people are normally on. Obviously, young people have shorter attention spans, I think. We're accessing so much online and on social media and so What we sort of did with the podcast initially when we first launched it, we were doing these deep dive segments at the top of the show where we would do a big long interview at the beginning, have a really close look at one topic, and then we would do a rundown of the top stories after that. The feedback that we received from our younger audience is that they found that a little bit boring and it sort of lost their attention. So we flipped the structure of the show late last year. So we now do a rundown or a, um, in case you missed it at the top of the show, where we go through some of the sort of top stories that people might have missed that week. The media industry talks about younger people as like that 25 to 54 kind of commercial advertising demographic. But um, research in the States, really interesting looking at people between 13 and 25 or 13 to 30 and finding big uptakes of people listening to podcasts and yet perhaps not other forms of news Do you think that's going on among that similar kind of age group here in New Zealand? Podcasting is now becoming sort of the primary way where a lot of us will learn about global events and learn about things that are currently happening. I know that personally I probably listen to about three different podcasts a day. 
like um, The Daily or stuff that's happening overseas from The Guardian. And so, you know, they might not be driving to work as much as they used to be. A lot of young people commute via public transport or walking. And so instead of having that radio knob just there to turn, they're just clicking into their phone and going onto their podcasting app. A lot of young people also multitask, we know, and, and do other things while they're engaging with the news. So I can see this as a really big area for the news companies because one, we know that people can access it anytime. It's not just on the on the air and then it's gone. But also we can capture a big range of people that historically haven't been well served. The New Zealand on air where our audiences report last year found that more fifteen to twenty nine year olds are listening to podcasts. I think sort of sort of to Katie's point too, it's um it's a medium that young people can access when they want, where they want. We've seen young people's use of or consumption of TV and traditional radio decline. Um, and I think it is because it's just sort of easier for them to access media on their terms. I also find, and this might be me just speaking on a personal level, but the news selection on normal news broadcasts, for example, the traditional mm. six o'clock news or breakfast shows, I find is a bit boring for me. And, mm. you know, I'm not super, super young, but if I'm tuning out and feeling like, okay, this is a bit slow or there's just a lot of really fluff pieces mm-hmm. that don't really cut to the core of the issue, and we know young people do want to know what the issues are, even us just sort of being the news directors of the podcast helps us pull content out that will engage younger listeners. And a really interesting part of that, a part of that has been international news. You know, I notice yeah. a lot of mainstream New Zealand media sort of make this assumption that local news is sort of at the forefront of what we care about but actually young people are really interested in what's happening overseas they're interested in UK politics they're interested in the invasion of Ukraine. So many people have contacted us like strangers have thanked us for speaking about the Ukraine and explaining it in like ways that are really simple because a lot of young people weren't alive 30 years ago Mm. when things were really going down and so just like a simple little bit of context can help someone understand all these new stories that are coming out now. We take another podcast that's really cut through a local one shit you should care about. I mean, it's a bit of a phenomenon, but I mean, I don't listen to it a lot, but I mean, sometimes it is about actual topical issues, you know, which crosses over with news. A lot of the time it, it kind of isn't. And you do a bit of that too in, in the loop, don't you? We, you know, you reference things that are not necessarily, you know, <laughs> strictly speaking, hard hitting news content, but that are getting shared and talked about on other platforms, you know, like Instagram and, and ones that younger people do use a lot. We have a specific segment at the end of our podcast where we kind of have a space for that called trending. And then at the end of our podcast, if, as long as there's time, sometimes we do end up cutting it out. We pop in a story or some news items that are filling up news feeds. So, like, I think it's an important part because, like, young people are interested in it and it's of note. Like, I think it's still news because it's this chat that's going on all online. A lot of people are engaging with it. Yeah, it's things like, you know, the Free Britney movement and things that are sort of more entertainment, pop culture stories. Um, But as, as Katie was saying, it is stuff that young people are still really interested in. And so I think it's also a way of kind of pulling in some light and shade, um, ending the podcast on sort of a nicer, lighter note as well. Um, Because the other thing about the news is that it can all be quite doom and gloom. And part of making news accessible for young people is is ensuring that there is a little bit of a mix of content. You did a a looping you in feature on Huda's story, the incident where a teenage high school student 
in Dunedin had her hijab ripped off and it led to a campaign that got international attention, a bit of um, celebrity um, social media engagement too. If we didn't have, you know, COVID going on and protests and a parliament were big at the time as well, kind of overshadowed it. Is that an example of something you think young people really would engage with, but, but you know, somehow because of other stuff, it, it just wasn't elevated by, you know, mainstream news outlets operating a pretty sort of traditional news production criterion? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think mainstream media are covering these topics and these and these stories like the Justice for Huda story. Um, you know, we saw that on the Otago Daily Times and on the Herald, but they're not necessarily, I think you used the phrase elevated, they're not necessarily um, being put in places where young people might access those stories. That Justice for Huda story, I mean, it just touched both of our hearts yeah. I think it felt natural that we would do a closer look at that story because it was just so shocking um, and it got attention overseas um, supermodel Bella Hadid shared a, a post about it so I think we both sort of instinctively felt that it's something our audience would be interested in. It's also like to do with young people as well like that story was to do with people in high school which mm. is exactly the type of people that we hope we'll be listening to the podcast and we'll want to know more about it. And yes, I did see it on places like the Herald and I did see it high on the website. But, you know, often these stories only last high on websites for a matter of hours or even I think stories like that, you know, really do deserve a deeper dive and do deserve more time and attention. And even if, say, a six o'clock news bulletin, it might get a couple minutes but it's great on the podcast because we can really dedicate, you know, 10, 15 minutes to unpacking, looking into and trying to get some more voices in there on what's happened. New Zealand On Air and, and our media, they create a fair bit of stuff for, uh, you know, quite young children. There's even a few news-based projects for young kids, like Kia Kids News and so on, which is a partnership with Stuff. Um, TV, uh, you know, have their commercial imperatives. They chase this uh, 25 to 54 age group because that's how marketing and advertising works and so on. Do you think that, you know, younger adults perhaps, and then under that 25-year bracket, uh, or the, the, they seem to get very little from our public media and our mainstream outlets. Do you think that's something that needs to be looked at? I think so. I feel like there's a myth, um, quite a pervasive myth, that people, you know, that are you know 18 to 30, whatever, aren't that interested in hard news or aren't that into finding out about what's going on or having longer investigations, which I just think is totally false because we know, like, especially with things like the Free Britney movement and other really strong investigations that have happened recently, we can see there is an appetite for it, but it's just more like I think we're failing to meet people where they are or make things in a more palatable way. And I feel like in the future, it should definitely be something that funding organisations should be looking at. Do you think the media might actually be a little bit scared of this? Because, you know, for example, RNZ had a plan to create a whole new youth network that would have a radio station as part of it, but they talked about a whole bunch of content, news for younger people, you know, well-being, all sorts of stuff, as well as music, which was kind of the gateway thing. But because it was all wrapped up with something that became really controversial, which was... Um, RNZ concerts, uh, frequencies and, and so on. The commercial radio networks hated the idea of RNZ developing a youth network that would have radio as part of it. So do you think maybe that's one thing that holds it back, that because anything that you know might be deemed a bit for the public good is actually a bit controversial? So maybe that's why younger people perhaps don't get the, the public or, or public 
spirited type of, of media and news coverage that, that maybe they deserve? Yeah, I think there probably is a risk for big media organisations to be dedicating platforms that are definitely completely targeted to young people. You know, we've seen youth use of those more traditional medias decline over time. And I also think that there is um, sort of an assumption that young people are already being catered for by the likes of music radio. And music radio plays a really important part in touching on some of the things that young people care about, that they might be talking about. They might do it in sort of an entertainment way and perhaps a music break. So that's, you're getting a short bite of something without really unpacking it. So I think because there's an assumption that maybe young people are already catered for um, by entertainment, there's sort of a less, there's lesser focus on a youth appetite for news and current affairs and information as well. I actually think there's a whole big market of people that, uh, you know, obviously young, they might be, you know, willing consumers. It would be a great market, but people just assume young people music station when actually we know young people are interested in current affairs. They just want it in a different way than we've previously, than previous ways that we've served markets. And finally, um, I think earlier, Katie, you mentioned that getting the tone right was a tricky thing. Sometimes, you know, particularly for uh, the stories, it could be a bit dense and you don't want to be feel like you're over over explaining or over simplifying things or talking down to people or whatever but another aspect of that is you're both working as journalists in mainstream media organizations and most of the time you know journalists are encouraged uh, discouraged rather from expressing how they feel about a story news reporting's a bit blurred these days and you know that's a whole separate debate but in a podcast you know I, I think the ones I've heard sometimes you do do a bit of that you explain if a story has touched you or moved you a bit you you will not shy away from from saying it do you feel a little bit awkward about doing that or or does it feel a bit liberating and perhaps that when you're doing something for a younger audience they might actually expect you to be expressing a little bit about how a story makes you feel as well at first it was a little bit difficult obviously going from straight news you're supposed to just deliver the facts straight away um and obviously there are risks that you have to be really careful. Like if it was something I was directly reporting on, it wouldn't really be appropriate for me to say, well, I think this, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, I feel like the commentary afterwards helps unpack the situation more. It can help people understand it. And so we do have to be a bit careful in terms of what we say and to make sure that we're not, um, I guess, saying things unfairly. But having that outlet to be able to comment and explain and put differing perspectives in. I know that sometimes we will, you know, highlight different people's viewpoints that we might not necessarily agree with, but it's valid to include. And so, yes, we are perhaps being a bit more opinionated than we normally are in our roles as like a journalist and a producer, but I think it's really valuable for the podcast and for our listeners to understand the key issues in a lot of these stories. I sort of feel it's important to give some of our thoughts and maybe our critical thinking on a on an issue because I think it encourages the audience to think about what their opinion is and, and engage in the content in a slightly different way as well and think, oh, do I agree with them? Maybe I don't. Um, all of that stuff is hopefully helping our audience not only have the information but use the information um, in a way that helps them sort of start to build up opinion and and that sort of thing. And I think just on the sort of expressing how we feel about a story, I think last week I said I felt sad about the um, the story that you did, Katie, on the 
child pornography. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that story makes me feel really sad. Um, by saying that, I think it's it's a nice way to sort of humanise um, news and journalism as well, instead of it just being kind of cut and dry, here's the information. Um, and so that's an important factor for us as well. Yeah, because news people are people as well. We saw, like, mm. um, I don't know if you saw the video of Samantha Hayes responding to Lisette Ramer's um, story the other night, and, like, we're not robots that can just speak about really dark and sad stories without having an emotional response. So I think it is powerful to be able to have that um, space to say how we feel if a story's affected us. That was New Zealand Herald reporter Katie Harris and Rosie Gordon, who was recently producer at News Talk ZB and just this week started as a producer here at RNZ, coincidentally. And they were talking to me there about news for younger New Zealanders and their podcast In The Loop, available on NZME's platform iHeartRadio and also available on all other major podcast platforms too.